Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Josh Wigler here. Uh, August 30th, 2020, as I'm recording these words, I'm joined here by Kevin Mahadeo. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Josh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, not, I, not fun. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, for anyone listening, you know, the reason why we're kind of recording this right now is that uh, late on Friday, the 28th, um, August 28th, the news broke that um, tragically, uh, Chadwick Boseman, the star of Black Panther, along with 42 and a number of many, many other films, um, tragically, tragically passed away. Um, and we kind of wanted to hop on just to have a quick level set about all of that before we delve into I know. almost the opposite tone well, for the movie that we're covering. This yeah, week. and I and I, I I felt like it was really important that uh, we get on here and acknowledge that right up front because I think that our 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 feelings of 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 sadness, of grief, of loss, of anger, of of the things that we gained from Chadwick Boseman's legacy, let alone his work in Black Panther. I got a hunch that that's going to fuel our conversation on the podcasts for the next little while, uh, at least for Black Panther, which is coming up next week. Um, but Kevin and I, along with Mike Bloom, who you're going to hear in this podcast, recorded our conversation about Thor Ragnarok on August 27th, 2020, uh, probably about you know 24 hours to the to the hour I would expect uh, before the news started to to circulate about uh, about the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman and like the content of this podcast we had a really good time Kevin and I got into a fight you're going to try about that Kevin, so Kevin, Kevin and I get into a fight we're very excited about Marvel in the context of the podcast we're really excited to be you know getting to Black Panther finally next week and so it's just it's a big tonal contrast the the content of the podcast versus sort of um you know what we're feeling right now days later like i think it even you know we were we were maybe going to record something yesterday kevin but i i i i don't know about you uh, yesterday was a, a bad day just generally <laughs> just yeah i mean there was <laughs> so much going on i mean between between that and everything else it's it's crazy to have a tragedy like that happen at a time when so much in, in the black community and you know the communities of people of color are going on especially yeah especially on uh on on you know this past week and then on friday um there's a lot there's a lot happening and to have this happen at the same time it, it it's it's a lot of emotions a lot of grief and sadness but i mean as you pointed out a lot of anger as happens with me my my grief turned to anger pretty quickly but that is sort of my default you just talked it out just, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean to an extent you know about yeah. the uh, just the the sort of i don't like using the word often but it is just the unfairness of it um, yeah that's what you said to of, me you were like you hate to say that like uh things aren't fair uh yeah but that's what this feels like that this is just it, it, it really does i mean you know um 
the the, the black people, the, you know, uh, the black community and and, uh, and people of color communities, we don't we don't have heroes like this that we can even look up to, both as a person, but also you know the character meant so much for so many people, and we just don't have that. Yeah. Um, there's there, there's not. I mean, like you. We can't even like this was the first one, right? Like this, this was the whole deal about Black Panther being made. It was the first time it was happening, and we don't even have a lot extended past that. And to have such an important one, such a huge one, taken away from us um, at a time when we are needing something like this the most is just brutally, brutally unfair and not right. And so I'm really upset about that you know there's no one to lash out to for it in terms of like what happened you know um but it's just it, yeah it's, it's just it's it's really upsetting and frustrating and just yeah like uh someone tweeted it where it was just like it really hurts that we're constantly seeing our heroes die while our enemies thrive and that's yeah. absolutely i think the sentiment that i'm feeling um pretty pretty heavily um, over the last few days since this, you know, since this happened, uh, but that's, you know, not to not to drag down everything that's about to be coming. But I feel like you said it, it, it's we have to acknowledge it and we have to kind of talk about it. I think we're going to have a deeper dive into it once we talk about uh, Black Panther. But yeah, you need to include something. I think here, I, I think it just it it didn't feel right to me. You know, we were going to post this Thor podcast on Saturday morning was the game plan, and then the news came in, and it was just very clear to me. It's like no way not right now. And uh, I certainly didn't want anything out there until you and I talked. Uh, and so this is us, you and me talking to each other, but also talking to this incredible community that we've been building over the last several weeks here on everything is super. And I can imagine, I can only imagine the pain that so many people just in this podcast community are, are feeling based on, you know, sort of this like, psychic seismic wailing of grief that like I have just like felt through the air over the over the last couple of days. So we we can't not acknowledge it, especially because the Thor podcast is really fun. It's a really yeah. fun podcast. We had a really great time. Mike Bloom is here. It's his favorite movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor Ragnarok. We had such a blast. So we wanted to make sure you you had a sense of, of when we recorded that. We were in a, happy, a slightly happier time. When we recorded that, um, you know, in the podcast, we mentioned what our Black Panther plans are for podcasting and the plan is that the incredible latanya starks who uh co-hosts the lovecraft country podcast with kevin and i here on post show recaps was already going to be joining us for black panther and i reached out to latanya um yesterday and we talked and she's very much still uh very on board to to being part of that podcast so latanya is going to be joining us for our black panther conversation it's going to be coming up later this week um we are still figuring out the exact specifics of when to record that i think this is still very raw and we're all trying to to sort through our emotions and our feelings on everything um and we want to give all of you the opportunity to do that as well we really want to lean on feedback in a really big way for this podcast your memories of chadwick boseman your memories of you know not just you know his his turn as black panther uh the the hero but all of the various heroes and icons he's played across the years um what black panther is a movie meant to you your memories of seeing that movie um we want to hear that stuff so so send that in super at postshowrecaps.com 
That's our email address, super at postshowrecaps.com. You also get to the end of this podcast and there's a, a call out from Kevin and I for you to settle a matter uh, by emailing us at super at postshowrecaps.com. That feels a, uh, rather superficial. Uh, feel free to still weigh on that if you if you want, but I, I doubt that we're going to be touching on that um, in our in our podcast coming up. But again, we want to hear from you. Everything that you've got on Black Panther, superpostrecaps.com. Kevin and I and Latanya are going to be getting together to talk about that film's legacy. Um, and it's it's a legacy that's so big that is, um, you know, is is now impossible to view um, in in, you know, the way that it's going to be viewed now and forever is different. Um, from what it was even two days ago. Um, so my expectation is we may spend some time on Black Panther. Uh, very likely that it's not just going to be one podcast and then we're moving on. Uh, I, I think it's a, a good a good bet, Kevin, that we'll spend some time in Wakanda. Yeah, and we, you know, I think rightfully should. And, you know, with this podcast and for the Black Panther one, I also want to, you know, we still want to have a, a good time as much as we can, right? Like when you're listening to the coming podcast for Thor, you know, it's happiness, it's joy, but I don't feel like that. Sh- we shouldn't have again uh, to have another element of happiness taken away from us. Isn't fair. So I feel like you know, enjoy the podcast, join in with the fun that that we had. Feel feel that positivity. I think it's important, especially right now. You know, when every time we're starting to feel it, it gets taken from us. We need to take 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 it where we can. Um, so yeah, I, I I really want the Black Panther podcast to be a, a full celebration and a discussion. Because it's, there's so much that I think his void is leaving in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, not just for you know our, our us as, as as people and and his you know his own brand of positivity that he sent to so many people, the way he uplifted an entire community and people, um, and the void that's going to be left in 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 the heroes that we need essentially. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be discussed and there's a lot that's going to be coming out. So it might be a very emotional podcast in a lot of ways. Yeah, of course. So of course. before we get there, everyone, before we get real heavy, <laughs> I think it's, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, enjoy, I, I, I think. Enjoy a this, lot of like, laughs coming up in this yeah. one. This is funny. Uh, and again, Kevin and I, I think, I don't, I don't know that you and I have ever been this on the record contentious with each other as we get in this podcast. Can you, think of an, can you think of a, <laughs> I can't think of an instance where we've ever like, like, just like, not even like hard disagreed, but just like would not move. You know, it's yeah, Thor, like Thor versus immovable. Hulk in the arena. Yeah. <laughs> I obviously won, right? Uh, but uh, quite easily. That's, that's, quite that's easily. not how, that's not, yeah, that's not what happened. That's happened. Right? <laughs> All right. Thor, Thor Ragnarok podcast is coming your way. We really hope you enjoy it. Um, we are sending out all of the love that we've got for everybody who needs it right now. Uh, certainly for me, that includes from me to you, Kevin. That includes from me to myself <laughs> includes, you know, all of, all of the, all of the love that we can get right now. These are hard times and, uh, this is, this is all awful. Um, but this is also everything is super and we've got a super podcast for you to listen to and we hope that you enjoy it. We'll be back in a couple of days with our Black Panther coverage. Take care. Bye. Thank you. For what? For this. <laughs> Didn't see that, did you? You know, go ahead. Stay here and enslave people for that lunatic. Keep drinking, keep hiding. But me, I choose to run toward my problems and not away from them. That's what. Because that's what heroes do. 
The world outside your window may be filled with lightning and thunder if it's August 27th, 2020 on the East Coast, or at least in New York City if you're listening to this. But that would be difficult because you'd be traveling back in time because that's when we're recording. Everything is super. Thor Ragnarok edition. And yes, no joke, there is thunder and lightning outside my window as we are recording our podcast about the most lit of the Thor movies. I'm Josh Wiggler, back after a one-week hiatus reunited with my main man kevin mahadeo and another friend from work mike bloom is back once again hello everyone hi i am this is clearly i am the thor god of thunder to your korg and meek i'll let you fight out whoever is who here well yeah. no Mike. Well, does I'm, have I'm, meek I'm, I'm, I'm meek bloom uh, and <laughs> meek i do bloom. i will say it's tough to type when i have sitters for hands <laughs> guys Oh, I'm so excited! I, I was thrilled. How's to it fill, going, man? I have a thrill to fill in for you, Josh, last week. But Thor Ragnarok is well, so, my favorite so, MCU film. So here's what happens: uh, I have to step away from the podcast for a week. Mike Bloom, who is the menchiest of menches, goes, "Josh, do what you got to do. Take some time. I am going to fill in for you on anything you need me to fill in for you on. You do that." In in a really incredible way, Mike, you demonstrate how much of a better friend you are to me than Kevin is. Wow! Um, <laughs> <laughs> I provide all your services. I can't you think do. of any, provide, but I do. Yeah, I can't either. But I'm gonna assume <laughs> that you do. Uh, and then and then Mike and I start like talking about what this week is gonna look like as I'm as I'm coming back in and I'm trying not to just like hop all the way back in with both feet. I just want to kind of like tiptoe back into the pool. And Mike's like, yeah, but hey, I got to be on Everything is Super again because you're talking Thor Ragnarok. I'm like, okay, is that the service charge? Because I'm happy to pay that. I didn't realize that this was Mike Bloom's favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Kevin. But if if Mike is going to feel that passionately about Thor Ragnarok, I feel like he's got to come here to bring the thunder. Oh, he's going to bring the thunder, a little bit of lightning, some rain. I'm not going to rain on anyone's parade, though. That's I'm not doing that because... I, I'll tell you right now. Look, I'm look, looking. What are we doing here? Right, it's sixes across the I, board. I wrote right? down. I mean, listen, this is, <laughs> this is the devil's number. Wait, we're talking we about the goddess of sixes. death. It's got to be yeah. six six six. My first <laughs> thing I wrote down short is why, podcast. Short podcast. Why am I even taking notes? Is the first thing I have yeah. in my book. Just why am I? Three quarters of my notes are just funny lines. And you know what, guys? You know how committed I am to Thor Ragnarok being an amazing movie. Look, in true Thor fashion. Oh, Mike shaved his hair. <laughs> shaved my head. I got a haircut. He shaved. He shaved his head. An Please old man me. approached me. <laughs> you he said his this. hands were not as good as the, as they as they were. But I, I said I'd try it. And, and one uh, journey into imagination, a la Willy Wonka. Later, here I am talking Kevin, about the Ragnarok. I'm, I'm envisioning the alternate reality where the ghost of Stan Lee with his Edward Scissors hands of uh, apparatus has cut mike bloom's hair and I'm, I'm terrified right now it's uh yeah that would be an interesting sight it doesn't look bad i could never do that i could never do it i just all i have is my hair and i'm losing it already so <laughs> well, i was gonna say kevin maybe someday you'll have no choice Listen, if you're nothing without the hair you shouldn't have it <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's totally fair are you totally kevin mahadeo god of hair <laughs> oh my god well so i was missing from the spider-man podcast last week which was very sad for me because i love that movie as evidenced by the fact that i gave it a six i think we're in a hot streak right now i think that um you know a lot of it is like symbolic but i because 
because like it's it's like this feeling of momentum that the Marvel Cinematic Universe starts to gather at this moment in its history. But it's also even if it feels like hyperbolic to say like Spider-Man Homecoming, perfect movie, uh, Thor Ragnarok, perfect movie, Black Panther, perfect movie, Avengers Infinity War, perfect movie. Sure, it's hyperbolic. Uh, and I think like you could you could pull at threads, you could pull at webbing, uh, you could pull at hair and shave it with your weird scissor hand thing. Um, but why when it feels this good? And Thor Ragnarok to me is worthy of a perfect rating because of what it does to a franchise that otherwise kind of sucks or at least is blah and where we're seeing you know with Iron Man and with Captain America in those third entries um you know resolutions to like the movie trilogies of those characters uh where you're seeing that even building across with uh potentially with Avengers who knows if we'll ever get another Avengers movie or if Marvel's going to rebrand and like their event movies are going to be, you know, less about the Avengers and more about some other corner of the MCU. Who knows? It certainly feels like um, Thor is the post-show recaps of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just getting started, <laughs> right? You know, it's just we've got Thor Love and Thunder is still on the way. Like Thor's not going anywhere because Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi have, have, have figured they've cracked the code. They've cracked the lightning. And I, I think that it's just such an impressive joy, uh, this movie that are there things about it that like, I think that like you could like maybe poke your, your fingers into like the sore removed eye of the film or the, or the devil's anus of the movie, if you prefer. Like, yeah, probably. Um, but I, I don't know why you would care. Because they're a jerk if they are. I feel like, no, you know, no, I, I, I don't so. know. Look, it, it's, it's crazy because this movie, you're right though, it changed it. Like you could just ignore and wipe away the previous two Thor films because I do think. That's what Hella does. Yeah. And Taika kind of, I think yeah. he hits what Thor needs to be, which is sort of this like, not like big and dumb, but like kind of like this big, fun loving, goofy dude. Uh, because one, he realized how funny Chris Hemsworth is, and two, mm-hmm. that if the Thor we had wasn't distinct enough from your Captain America, and to an extent his ego wasn't far enough away from Tony Stark, and if you're just going to have a character who's basically in between the other two, then it's not going to be that cool of a character. But this version of Thor is so great. It feels so different than the other characters, um, and it provided just non-stop entertainment from start to finish like this movie doesn't stop in its entertainment value and i just don't mean the comedy like uh, taika watiti you know i mainly knew him from like what we do in the shadows uh mm-hmm. the movie not not even the show i got to the show later uh and it's it's great but like do you ever see uh hunt for the wilder people i didn't but oh, yeah. i've heard it's so good uh, sam neil who oh. plays who plays <laughs> odin in the play is uh right. is a, makes a cameo in it yeah, and also, uh, whoever, I, I'm blanking on the name of the character and I don't know the name of the actress, um, but whoever Grandmaster's like, uh, like henchwoman is. Yes. The, like the trunchbull of Sakar, uh, is a, a huge character in the hunt of the, the wilder people. I strongly recommend uh, that. Rachel House is her name, and I believe Topaz okay. is the name of the, the yeah. bodyguard. Yeah, she's incredible in that movie. And uh, I I think I saw that after I had seen Ragnarok because I was so impressed by Ragnarok. And if you haven't sought it out, please do yourself the courtesy. It's such a good I movie. I definitely That's the want thing to. Too. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is that like the week I'm we're going to talk about the comedy. The comedy is is top notch in my opinion. But I think something that I forget about, like for some reason, every time I watch this movie, is Taika Waititi's directing, particularly the cinematography and the visuals are unbelievable. So this, even is, though it's just the red and the white, pick a color exactly. No. But it, but this isn't just you know marketed as like a, oh it's you know a, a joke a minute type of film because I think that's sort of like uh, a criticism that I think has been levied towards it in other movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance. But it is booing and other stuff. We have a genuine moment arc with Thor as he really you know the restructuring of Thor down to the hairdo is about him sort of. Uh, from what the throne that he turned away before he's finally accepting it the revelation that you know that uh that asgard is a people not a place and this whole you know change of narrative at the end is is a big step for the character but the visuals down to the music which is made by mark mothersbaugh of devo is one of the most distinct scores we've heard in the mcu aside from the aforementioned guardians films like there is so much different stuff going on with this movie and we i know i kept saying last week that spider-man was such a breath of fresh air but this is like a breath of entirely new different type well, of it's air like, it's like i don't know if it's fresh air though because it's like hot irradiated cigar <laughs> smelly it's like, garbage air garbage air but like it like fills your lungs and like you are now suddenly just like tripping balls like i'm stone cold sober and i watch this movie and i'm like like it's like a flashback to the days the days that are gone by and it's just it is such a trip of a movie uh and mike you mentioned um the score and i think the the you know the key difference that i would say there is like we're talking soundtrack guardians has the best soundtrack for sure because yeah. you know it's you know all of this uh this just like really wonderfully cherry picked uh array of cherry of bomb classic, <laughs> right of classic songs across volumes one and two um but i think as far as a score there is just a mood mm. about what's happening here in Ragnarok, as evidenced by like the start of this podcast and that very funny moment where where thro- Thor throws the ball, and that's what heroes do, and that's the name of that track. Uh, that's what here I think it's called. What heroes do, uh, and it is one of the best bops in like any like big popcorn movie that i can i can think of yeah and it's you know it's it's that what you're just saying there right him throwing the ball is the perfect epitome of what this movie is which is a subversion of so many things that people would expect from a standard superhero movie right they just go against the norm the big rousing speech the like the fights um and you get it immediately like the moment this movie starts and he's there rotating as Surtur's trying to talk to him (laughs) you're just like oh this movie's gonna be one of those but you know we talked about the visuals we talked about um the 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 cinematography the the score but like all of that plus Plus, I gotta call out the action that Taika does in this movie that they that mm. everyone working on it does. And you get it so quickly, and it feels so unique and so interesting. Even in that first battle, his real only battle uh, with Mjolnir, uh, the way that that is shot and it's done, where he's throwing yeah. it and you're following the Mjolnir shot, around, yeah. the POV shot is so well executed. And something that boggles my mind, I hadn't done on a Thor movie before, but it was so great. And that carries out carries throughout the rest of the movie in my opinion you know there's just this movie fires on all cylinders and takes a lot of turns that you don't expect it to and it creates 
arguably the wildest ride in the MCU, even after you've been on it multiple times. It is like the Mr. Toad's wild ride of the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Films. No matter how many times you go on it, you're just like, oh my god, what's happening? Are we dead? Is, are we in hell right now? Like, you know, it's just that level. Well, I mean, look at that first scene as an indicator, right? Because the movie's called Thor Ragnarok. And if you hadn't seen any trailers and you just knew the word Ragnarok from its comic lore and you saw Surtur, you would say, okay, this is what the movie's going to be about, right? Like, this is the arc in the comics. Odin sacrifices himself to, you know, uh, defeat Surtur and prevent Ragnarok, the destruction of Asgard. And in the first scene, Thor defeats him. And so you're like, where the hell do we go from here? And evidently, where the hell we're going is Sakaar and sometimes Earth to visit Doctor Strange for a hot second. And it just all completely goes awry. And the name, in the, even just looking at the name, is so genius as well because of that final twist. You know, I spoke last week again about how third act twists are not really part of the MCU. And I don't know if I would put this in the same like boat as, you know, the Vulture reveal from Spider-Man Homecoming. But I do feel like the revelation of like, oh, you know, when uh, Surtur says that Thor is is part of causing Ragnarok, he actually is foreshadowing that Thor is going to let Ragnarok happen to, ironically enough, save Asgard. It's like, it's an amazing, you know, both callback and warping of a convention that we already knew uh, going into this if we were comic book fans. Of course, there's the planet Hulk of it all, which I would love to talk about later on because that is definitely another interesting facet of it. But I just love that from the from the from the get go between that action scene, as Kevin mentioned, and the fact that in any other Thor version of the, this Thor movie, the this version of the big bad would be saved until Act Three gets killed in minute three, and you're like, okay, the, the thing's wide open now. Yeah, I so what you had said before, Kevin, about like this movie being such a wild ride. Uh, it, it is like, it is sort of like that Kirby-esque journey, you know, like this is, this is, you know, this is the journey into, I don't think you could say it's journey into mystery so much as <laughs> like, it's journey into <laughs> insanity. And I, and I, I think that I am, I am hard pressed to think of a Marvel movie, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie at the very least, but I would probably apply this broadly, uh, that is more of just like a ride the way that this one is in, in, in literally like the way that this one is. Mm. Cause like you could say about Endgame that that is, you know, that's the big emotional movie. Plus it's got time travel. It's taking you on a tour of the MCU. It's insane on a lot of levels and it just like hits you right in the feels. And not that Ragnarok doesn't have its moments that are like actually relatively moving and, and like make you feel a lot. Um, but there is, there is sort of this, I don't know. It's, it's funny. Cause like, I, I'm, I'm thinking of some like Shane Black type stuff, Kevin. Like, I'm thinking of like knock around guys and like, you know, like, is that the, that's the, or what's the, what's the, the movie? Other guys. Is it called knock Not around? The other guys. The, other uh, guys? The, the nice guys. Sorry. The nice, the nice guys. guys. The, the nice the, guys. Yeah. The Shane Black movie. Is that what yes. it is? The one, the, the, what's knock around guys? That's that one totally I don't know. Uh, the nice guys is the Shane Black film with, uh, Russell Crowe and, um, Ryan Gosling. But it's kind of Shane Black actually. And the actress who plays Betty Brown. Is in that you know it's got it's got that kiss kiss bang bang mm-hmm. feel it just has this vibe of like like rapid fire jokes um but also has like these moments that are very very shocking and surprising but it feels like the movie can be anything at any moment and that's what ragnarok feels like for me and like there is like maybe to an extent 
to which like at times it feels like how dangerous is this movie actually going to be because like there's a lot of joking there's just like a lot of slapstick as well um but to the movie's credit it's in the title it's ragnarok and they destroy asgard which by the way asgard is a flat earth yeah I mean, yeah, we knew like, that, we though, found right? that out. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we knew I'd that. forgotten that Asgard was a flat That's earth. where, that's, uh, I mean, I guess, good for Hulk, because that uh, pretty much easily dispatched with that giant-ass wolf. Otherwise, yeah. it would be wreaking some havoc. Flat earth. As, a found, a flat as long earth. as the foundation is there, we can rebuild. We can make it better. So <laughs> but, like, the foundation's gone. But, <laughs> I, but I think, like, so when, when this movie was announced, I don't think that uh, Taika was attached to it when it was announced. It was announced as part of, like, this big wave of phase three movies that were announced at this event in Hollywood, uh, where I think Age of Ultron was still on the way out. And Feige announces this huge slate of movies that includes the Inhumans, which will never happen because they made it into a show and it was garbage. Uh, Kevin, so I hope we don't... Of, speaking of giant dogs. I hope we don't do... We commit some sort of sin that forces us to redeem ourselves by watching and podcasting about the Inhumans, because I think I'll... I don't I don't feel good about that. Um but Thor Ragnarok was was mentioned there and at the time Ragnarok is such a heavy idea. It's it's the end of Asgard. It's you know destructive. The repercussions of that could be astronomical in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the tone at that point is established by Kenneth Branagh in the first Thor movie and then I think like plummeted by Alan Taylor and Thor The Dark World. And so, like, you're thinking about Thor Ragnarok, you're like, okay, so the next Thor movie is just going to be this really, really severe bummer. And instead, it turns out that the end of the world can be a blast. And I think that that is such a surprise and so much fun to behold. And it is, in that way, just completely unlike anything. Like, this is a movie where they complete, they destroy Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. Uh, they destroy Thor's entire supporting cast, like his typical yeah, group. Yeah, R.I.P. the Warriors 3. Yeah. Like, in, a, in like a shot for two of them, and at least Hogan gets, like, one last stand. Um, and who knows what Lady Sif is doing? I guess she's getting tattoos in New York City on the, <laughs> the, the show that she does. Um, uh, Wentworth Miller style, or Mike Bloom style, I suppose. Um, but like, they just like, they end so many things and they do it like in such a jazzed up way. So, yeah. Um, I, I love that. Even like, again, back to that first scene, Thor essentially shrugs off his plot point from Age of Ultron, right? He's like, yeah, I found out about the Infinity Stones. I went searching for him. Nothing happened. Bye. And we also get, you know, the shrugging off of Jane Foster as well, which is going to not be so shrugged off when uh, she gets brought back for Love and Thunder. But it really does seem like, and on the one hand, I think on paper you would say like, wow, Taika Waititi undermining all the canon that got built up for these characters, killing all so many people off, disregarding previous plot points. Like, what is he doing? But on the other hand, they were kind of shit plot points to begin with. And so it's like, you you have to forgive him for making bold new choices to the point where the fans, and I think internally as well, now consider this like, okay, this is Thor. From now on, like the other two movies were just a, a fever dream, a gas induced hallucination. And now this is who Thor is supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, I think, Josh, I definitely was like losing my mind uh, over what you were saying, because it's absolutely something I agree with. And Shane Black is a great call out. I will take it a step further, in my opinion, in that, you know, we've talked about movies in the MCU feeling a little bit different, specifically ones that had directors that were a little bit different that had a unique pov and i think 
this started to go in that territory, but this honestly is beyond even those movies. This is beyond like the Iron Man 3 unique perspective. This movie is so unique, not just in the MCU, in my opinion, but in the entire genre of superhero films. To me, there's nothing else like this. And I feel like we're going to get a lot of carbon copies for sure. Uh, but it really just did something totally different. And you are absolutely right. I think part of success is that they went for stuff and they did big, bold things. I mean, you you mentioned him losing Mjolnir is huge. Asgard being destroyed is huge. Dispatching the Warriors 3. He lost an eye. I think there's so much that they did that's huge in this movie and big, bold strokes. The one drawback... They cut his hair. They cut his hair, which honestly, though, for me, like, I'm just gonna, as a side note before I continue, uh, this was the, also the movie and that haircut where finally I got it when it came to Chris Hemsworth because, like, I notoriously wasn't into him that much like even though like so many people were he was not on my list of chris's but this movie you were you were more of a liam guy yeah totally uh, or or luke does does luke fill out the longer hair better than chris when he's playing the fake thor no (laughs) just no one none of them look good with the long hair the only good looking one with the long hair is uh loki i guess but the the haircut everything I, i like seeing this movie i'm just like i get it i get chris hems i understand now but like my one and it's not a criticism of this movie, but my own criticism is that I wish that they let this stuff lie a little bit longer. Like, I know that's in the Marvel hands, and that's out of Taika's hands at that point, where the establishment, the reestablishment of Asgard on Earth is totally fine. That's different to me. But, like, Mjolnir's back. He got a fake eye immediately. Like, those yeah. things were moments where I was just like, oh, I wish that we sat with it a little bit longer. I mean, look at the first scene from Infinity War, not to say that it completely undermines Ragnarok, but it literally is like, hey, we're going to Earth. No, you're not anymore. Bye. Yeah. Like all these people are dead except for Valkyrie. Uh, Yeah. But when when Thor Love and Thunder picks up. Asgard will be established on on Earth because that is where things lie right now. Uh, Thor has avenged, you know, he or he has revenged, (laughs) uh, you know, he went for the head. His issues. He has made peace with the fact that Asgard is settled and they have a king in in Valkyrie. Um, so and, and Korg and Meek are still part of it. Hulk would be a very different character. Loki's dead, but Loki in an alternate timeline is still going to be kicking around. So who knows what sorts of pieces they will pick up with that? I think that yeah, like I, I totally get your point. That I think that the very next beats that you get with Thor in the MCU following this movie are uh are very severe although even then they are still played in terms of like big broad comedy but we're gonna come back to thor and mjolnir is still gone yeah he's got an eye it's a fake eye but like it's gonna i i think that there is going to be a way to like fairly seamlessly just continue the tone of what it is taika's going for and i think that what this movie suggests to me and certainly where they leave thor by the end of endgame is that thor is like i'm a journeyman i'm not a king i'm a traveling warrior mm-hmm. i chug i chug huge horns veil and i screw you know people up with my with my hammer or lightning bolts of choice and i go off on misadventures and like ragnarok has this weird job where it both has to uh, be a misadventure. It, it it wants to be a misadventure movie, but it also has to interact with some plot that is surrounding it. 
like the Thor movies that came before, uh, the Thor appearances that came before, and where Thor is going next by like, you know, let's strand him in space so that he can be first contact with Thanos for Infinity War. Um, but right now, where we are at the end of Endgame is like, Everything that gets accomplished tonally for Thor in Ragnarok and where they leave him by the end of that is all stuff that can be picked up for Love and Thunder. All of this is to say, Kevin, that I feel like as much as we like if if Ragnarok is a six out of six, like Love and Thunder, I think the deck is is set for it to break the scale. Like not again to be hyperbolic and like the future is whatever the future is going to be. But the stage is wide open for Thor to just be whatever the F it wants to be as a franchise. Yeah, and that's really cool and really exciting, and I'm definitely pumped for that. And that wasn't to distract from this film, because again, the things they do in this movie, the, the, the steps they take are awesome and great, and, and just, you know, we mentioned it, and like, to go back to it, but the comedy, my God, I mean, correction from last week, it's hard, you know, I, I, I put Spider-Man Homecoming as probably the funniest movie to me in the MCU, and it's now, like, it's it's this and Thor. Like, rewatching this, I was like, right. Yeah. This is great. Like, little things are so good. Like, the moments we mentioned, but even when they're there and he's just, like, Loki is like, I'm not a witch. And he's like, then why are you dressed like one? Like, stuff like that is just so well executed. The line delivery across the board is so great that, like, I just, yeah. And everything on, everything Hulk. Like, we didn't even talk about the Hulk of it all yet. But what a way to use that character. Like, a character... That has only really been in the Avengers films, a character that when they had his own movie was is near the bottom of our list. But ever since he was introduced, we were like, oh, my God, this is a great Hulk. But I think this movie knew what Hulk is, which is he's best when used as a supporting character and used so effectively in a way that I think sets up some stuff that we'll have coming up. Like this movie was almost all Hulk. We barely got Bruce Banner in this. Uh, and that kind of sets up the tone for Infinity War, where we pretty much just get only Bruce Banner and basically no Hulk leading into Endgame, where we get the fusion of the two. The Hulk goes through some interesting stuff that they set up here that almost also leads into the end of his character arc. And in a way, this did set up Thor's character arc, but it it or uh, set up Thor's new character arc. But it sort of like really set the stage for Hulk and where he'll be going. And it absolutely rounded out Loki's character arc. I mean, I talked mm-hmm. about this before that Loki as a villain has always been pretty high up to me, but never like a perfect one. This version of Loki, he's not a villain, but I think this is this is a six out of six character for me for, for him at this point. He goes through such a wonderful journey and to the point where walking into Infinity War and Endgame, he him and Tony Stark were my like one out of one picks of people going to die. Like there was zero alternative. I was like, Loki's dead dude like the character has completed his journey he's done and you know that of course comes to fruition really quickly but the lead up to that i think is so good like there's just so much good in this movie like goddamn guys (laughs) yeah well I i mean the thing is so with the hulk i know that you know they were really debating like how do we set this up and i think what they agreed on was to your point kevin that they were going to take hulk's arc maybe intended for a solo movie and and put it in Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame. And to your point, there's all the the rights issues too. Yeah, like with the universal, I think initially like got the they, rights. The, 
and because of like then Disney scoops up Marvel and so it's you know Marvel at this point is not what it was when Marvel Studios was able to make the Incredible Hulk movie and distribute that through Universal that I think that right now still even Marvel Studios cannot make a solo Hulk movie. But like, I, it is not a thing I, they can do. But Planet Hulk is right uh, there. I know, and that's the thing. So, Planet Hulk. So, how do you do that? For those you of you that don't know, so it's not Ragnarok specifically. Uh, so, basically, Planet Hulk in like one minute. So, uh, the Illuminati, which is a group of, you know, the, the top of the top. People, I know saying that out of context feels super weird when I start things off with saying the Illuminati. I actually think but, they're called uh, the Cabal, aren't they? Or no, that's Norman Osborne's group is the Cabal. You're right. They were the yes, Illuminati. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so they choose, they say Hulk's too big of a liability to Earth. We're going to send him up in a rocket ship to a peaceful planet where he can graze and spend the rest of his days. Suffice to say, rocket goes off course and lands on Sakaar. Pretty similar tracking here. Uh, some of you have heard this before. Hulk gets woken up rudely and gets, uh, recruited, quote unquote, becomes a, uh, what, uh, not a slave, but what would they say? That the prisoners with jobs, I guess, <laughs> as Topaz would put it, becomes a gladiator in the arena and actually takes a Korg up on his offer here. He ends up helping lead the revolution against who's the Red King, which is sort of like the Grandmaster equivalent in the comics. And, you know, Hulk, who is more so the Professor Hulk in that he really does have, like, the cogent thoughts and doesn't necessarily speak in the caveman speak. He's able to mount... He's the- like Conan. He's Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, but he, mount, he mounts he mounts the revolution uh, as a... Crumb. Like, like marries uh, a, one of the planet citizens. Like, she's pregnant with his child. He's, like, living a life as a king prosperously in this world until the ship that he came in on initiates a self-destruct mechanism exploding detonating the city and killing his wife and as revenge hulk gets on board with the other uh, the gladiators goes to earth and just raises he wages all war literally world war yeah hulk. yeah so and it's it's one of my personal favorite comic arcs because it's, it's such an interesting thing and it sucks because i'm like god i would have loved to see them take this on like a civil war you know with how do they take on one of these famous arcs but at the same time like it just doesn't fit Especially, I think, in a post-Civil War, uh, you know, time frame for the MCU, literally post-post-Civil War, we're only a few movies removed from it. It would just feel weird to sort of have that plot get thrown into everything. And so for the tone of the movie, I could understand the merging of the two. Uh, but man, the comedy. God, this comedy is so good. It's, I, I, my, I think my favorite comedy is what I would call smart, dumb comedy, where it's smart writing for dumb characters and that's what this movie is, and that's why it works so well. Just, just I don't know oh, how to fly oh, a spaceship. Just use one fly. of your PhD. None of them is flying an aircraft like that. That is <laughs> yeah. that is smart, dumb comedy right there. It's it's perfection. Yeah. Uh, shout out also yeah. to Greg Pak, who is the writer yeah. of uh, Planet Hulk and the World War Hulk storylines. Incredible. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Greg's. I love his work. Um, so definitely wanted to shout him out on that. Um, it's really it's really worth reading, and it's actually kind of fun to think about the Planet Hulk was like it's such a good comic book that it has been inspirational i think for many other comic books where like uh the planet hulk world of sakar got like branched out and turned into if not quite like its own line but there was son of hulk mm-hmm. like mm. they continued that mythology in a really big way in marvel so like if you read it and you're really into it you've got such a wealth of stuff to to dig into, um, but it was inspirational uh, for when Marvel was. I'm sure they they still are. I'm not following it closely, like what their animated deal is these days. They did a version uh, of one, yeah, 
one yeah. area where 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 DC is certainly superior to Marvel, I think, uh, is in the animated realm. But Marvel did make an animated movie that was Planet Hulk. And then, of course, there's Thor Ragnarok. But one of the things that's really fun about that thread, if you're just like, let's just take those three, uh, is that in each of those stories of Planet Hulk, of Hulk being, you know, whether he's rocketed or he rockets himself to this other planet, um, and he winds up in a gladiatorial situation in all of these scenarios, in each of the three main Planet Hulks, the original comic, the animated movie, and Thor Ragnarok, the gladiator that he goes up against is is always different but iconic. Yes. Obviously, here it's it's Thor, um, but it's Silver Surfer mm-hmm. in the comics. And it's uh, Beta Ray Bill. In the it's Beta Ray. It's Beta Ray Bill, who's this incredible Thor character. Who's he's Horse Thor? Yep, right. Yeah. He's like alien. Possibly horse Christian Bale is a Ray Bill. If Love and Thunder Chris, rumors are Chris, true, Christian. Christian Bale has allegedly been cast in Thor Love and Thunder. The question is, is he cast as a bad guy or as many people, uh, including both Kevin and myself and Mike, I would imagine you'd be very uh, on board with Christian Bale to Ray Bill. I mean, listen, be, Be- Beta Ray Bill is like the one. I guess it's of, Beta Ray Bale. <laughs> yeah, Beta Ray Bale. just hanging there. It's the one. I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I'll be so interested because, again, Christian Bale is someone who takes himself super seriously as an actor. So I'll be very intrigued to see you know, how he goes into it. But I guess that also segues a bit into like the, the Kate Blanchett of it all too, because Ooh. her as Hella, it's so, she's, you could tell how much fun she's having. Like she is just, she, I guess maybe she gets that, uh, she shares that blood with Loki that she is just chewing up the scenery. This, no, no, Loki's adopted. <laughs> so but the, the they share, they share a bit, uh, but like the uh. smirk she has across her face as she does everything. I also will say, uh, this might be a hot take, hot as Hella, that I think that Hella's design might be one of my favorite Marvel villain designs in the MCU. Here's a hotter take. Hella's my favorite villain in the Marvel Cinematic That is a hot wow, take. that is very, that's scalding. You, uh, you one-upped me and then some. Yeah. She's, that's my, that's my, that's my hot take. I, 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 she is not the best villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is that, it is that line between best and favorite. She is for me, uh, hits like a sweet spot. That I didn't know existed until Kate Blanchett showed up as Hella. I didn't know that I had that in me. And like she like threw one of her death daggers directly into that spot <laughs> and I died. And I liked it's, it. It's um, because you hate the Warriors am, 3 and she kills them immediately. <laughs> I Well, I do hate the Warriors 3 in the MCU. I think that they're garbage. And so I'm thrilled that she did what she did. Um, but I I am I am like madly, deeply um disturbingly in love with Kate Blanchett as Hella. Uh like I there there is something about the performance, the costume to your point Mike, I totally agree. Um the makeup, like oh the eyeshadow, the realness, man. The, the smirk, the voice, yep. the, the the style, the everything about Hella sets me on fire and I love it and I love it and like Thanos has the cooler story and Josh Brolin what he does with Thanos is like like mournful and soulful and dark and deep and messed up and for a, a mad titan deeply human is is what's so impressive about what Brolin does with Thanos that I just don't think you can stack up against him I think what Michael Keaton does as Vulture mm. uh, is another you know perfect marvel cinematic universe villain for me he's just uh you know for i don't even need to relitigate i'm sure that you guys really went long on that uh, yeah. <laughs> on vulture last week um 
I don't think that Hella like hits that stuff for me necessarily as far as like the human, but she's like an anime villain brought to life is what mm-hmm. she is for me. She is, she is like this, she is like this creature that should not exist in live action and yet she does and is like staggering to me. Um, I am like in awe of Kate Blanchett as Hella and she's like, it, what's great is like she is on like the complete opposite end of the spectrum as Kate Blanchett as Galadriel. I know. I was going to say, the Lord of the Rings like, series. So, she'll like, appear to you in like a white has beacon of light. And lows. Yeah, and then yeah. you'll have Hella here. You'd be like, "Who the hell are you?" So that's that's my hot take, and I think that that is a huge contributor to why Ragnarok is is among my favorite MCU movies. Is because uh, she is just tremendous. And then if you want to say that, like, but is she the villain? Like, because she's not on the Sakaar uh, side of the storyline. Fine, then you want to call the villain of the thing Grandmaster? Oh. Great. That would be another six. Because yeah. Jeff Goldblum is crazy in this movie. So goddamn he's, good. He's just so Jeff goddamn Goldblum. good. Yep. It's so, so weird. When he's just there next to them, it's like, what are you guys whispering? Like that, just yeah. everything about him was Jeff Goldblum. I think they just let him on set and let him just do his thing. But and I, the, I mean, that's what, that's what he said as much. He said that Taika was like going for ice. And so all the ums and uhs, you have to assume you're just Goldblumisms that he threw in there. Perfection. I, so I, my take isn't going to be as hot as Josh's. I do think Hela is one of the best villains in the MCU. She doesn't, as a per- like, I, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I've gone on and on about villains every episode, as I have specific criteria and whatever. But you know, she doesn't hit all of that criteria for me. And you are right there, but there's so much lifting done, I think, by Kate Blanchett and and her portrayal as a villain in this. I think works so well. You don't have to have the villain be involved in every aspect of the hero's journey. That's not how that has to work. The hero can go do other stuff in their trek back into fighting the villain. It's sort of like the hero has to go away in order to quote unquote train and have that montage scene before they come back to fight the villain in traditional hero's journey. So you don't need to have her directly involved in that. Uh, So I would definitely say she's the main villain, but as far as villain introductions go, she easily has one of the top, in the MCU. And I think what they do Incredible. is great because, you know, a typical villain thing, I, I forget what the TV trope is, but I think it's called either the wharf effect or the Wolverine effect, where you basically have a villain show up in order to showcase how powerful they are. They either beat the hell out of, or in, you know, not a case of Wolverine or Worf, but kill the most strongest character around. You know, they Worf gets beaten up. He's supposed to be the strongest. That shows you how <laughs> badass this villain is. Um, you know, in, I hate to use this reference, but like, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is a great example of this. <laughs> Shao Kahn shows up, kills Johnny Cage. That's the I worst. Know, yeah, that's very triggering. For that's me. I the love worst Johnny example Cage. of it, though, right? It, it's done in such yeah. a way where you're like, I see what you were trying to do, but what? Um, this is so effective. Very disrespectful. Very right, disrespectful. but this is so effective because she doesn't kill a super important character immediately off the bat. What she does is destroy Mjolnir, the symbol of the character's worthiness and strength. He strips, <laughs> or she strips away something from Thor. Did I say something incorrect? What happened? Yeah, no, you said something incredible. I, you said me, I Mjolnir, love, which I, sounds like if an Irish no. man being like, oh, Mjolnir. <laughs> no, I love, uh, ah, Mjolnir. Yeah, I love meow, that meow. he just went for Mortal Kombat Annihilation when Thanos killing Loki is right It there. was, but that's a good thing. I'm trying to use the bad <laughs> yeah, example. I know. But it's the just very funny. Is, I never expected <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation to ever come up in conversation. Those movies are bad. I saw that movie But in I know exactly what you're day. talking about. Yeah. I really do. I mean, I know. I know my age demos. 
so uh, <laughs> but that i that 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 symbolism right that moment of like destroying the symbol of the wordiness and power of the character i think is so much better than if she just killed uh a, an important power like if she showed up and killed odin that would have been like all right but you do have her strength in that she wipes out the warriors three and wipes out asgard's army incredibly like 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 they're nothing and i think that also works really well it wasn't like this like dramatic moment I don't, it's just the little things like that i think is so smart in both again uh hitting a trope but subverting it enough in a very very clever way um yeah it, it's she's she's great and like what yeah. you know just oh my gosh and that ending scene where she's fighting with thor just everything she does in this movie and her mannerisms to mike you know to mike's uh point is just great i just love her voice the way she I love her does the hair voice. thing voice uh, yes and i just love her vo- I, I thought you'd be happy to see me <laughs> like this she's just well to, 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 to that point I though with that line knew I wanted. to the point with that line reading though like that's why also why the wharf effect or the wolverine effect wouldn't have worked in that first scene is because another reason why hell is this interesting character is because she's not really directly in opposition to thor until thor encounters her for it or like she is she sort of breaks her guy's cardinal rule on that she is more odin's villain than Thor's villain, but that is also a key part of this narrative: is Odin sort of taking on the responsibilities of of Odin, or Thor taking on the responsibilities of Odin and really inheriting it's legacy. Well, yeah, but inheriting also the dark sides of his father's legacy, right? And what what that that contained. And so it does make sense for her to first land and be like, "Oh, uh, nice to meet you. Never met my bros before." Uh, you know, to loosely quote Korg, I'm about to go destroy and take over a bunch of realms. Want to come? Like that's that makes sense for the for the characterization she's taking on. Something again that speaks to the unique nature and groundbreaking nature of this film. This is the first female villain we've had in the MCU. And it's crazy to think that it's taken that long, but it fits in seamlessly to the point where I don't think you have Ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp without Hela. And I don't know how you guys feel about uh, Taskmaster and Black Widow. I think it's going to be a woman, but I feel like if that's the case, you're not going to have her without Hela. Hela is able to like really introduce this thing of like, okay, it doesn't need to be just playing with boys. You know, that she's yeah. able she's able to come in and be like, I'm a badass. I can take out an entire Asgardian army with my giant piercing guttural daggers coming out of my head without even batting an eyelash or maybe batting a lot because there's a lot of eyeliner on, incidentally. That it's it just it's an, it's a commanding I totally agree with Kevin. This has to be the best introduction scene for an mcu villain bar none unless i guess you count like the thanos post-credit scene from avengers right and i i you know that's great that you call that out i mean i it's un, it's not that surprising that, that this is the first female villain we don't get a female-led movie until a couple more later um but it is like i mean there's the the it, it's interesting because to say sexism and racism is inherent in comics is just it's like saying the sky is blue we know but What's what's also unique about Hela is that she's not portrayed in the typical male POV way that female villains are. So many female villains are basically written to use their sexuality as their, you know, um, driving factor. Uh, Catwoman is flirty with Batman, Poison Ivy, a lot of that. I mean, not to an extent Harley Quinn, but certainly that character has been sexualized. I use specifically Batman because he has a number of female villains. But that is sort of the way that these characters have been unfortunately treated. And I like what I like about Hella too is that there's none of that there. Like certainly 
you know, Josh, you have an attraction to Hello, which is fine, but that's not what they were trying to overtly do with this character. For sure. And I For sure. really appreciate that. I think it's really well done. And you are right, Mike, and that's why she's not going to be, you know, spoiler, she's not a full six for me, is that she doesn't follow my rule of having that direct connection in that way to the hero. But I think it's better than a lot of previous versions of that we've seen because she's technically odin's villain yes but really it is to josh's point about legacy they're both actually competing for the throne not necessarily to have a grudge against odin so i thought that was interesting because she's not out there trying to kill odin she's not out there you know impetus of odin she's out there by birthright and i think that is the unique hook factor between those two characters i do think um rings through to uh my quote-unquote requirement for a villain it's not really a requirement but it and helps I, and i so i think like this conversation about about hella and talking about about hulk uh you know and and you know like the korg and meek of it all we like, didn't even talk is, about korg and meek <laughs> you know but and and i i'd love to but i i think like korg and meek like you could you could group in with like the comedy factor you know korg and yeah. meek are just like such hilarious characters and, and those are also so those are people who don't know those are characters from planet hulk those yep. are and i believe yeah, who, who meek is like uh, a very different character meek is actually i think more of the korg more of the comic relief of planet hulk he's this like very seedy insectoid who ends up actually like having a bunch of babies that end up in infesting everything so yeah suffice it to say uh you know again part of taika waititi's thing was to change up the characters a bit and i love the way he approached korg as just like this very soft-spoken mild-mannered like pretty nice guy who only ended up in the gladiatorial games killing people because he he tried to start a revolution and didn't hand out enough flyers because paper beat rock i love that joke paper beat rock. such a good joke <laughs> like he got beat by like a smart time comedy yep uh it's very good but but Tessa Thompson yes. as Valkyrie yes. is just a tremendous character who I am so thrilled to have in the MCU and talk about like the relish with which people are are digging into their roles in this movie. I think like even Ruffalo is is so fun. Like you can you can feel the Ruffaloisms coming across his his turn as like uh, like Hulk becoming smarter, but not quite smart Hulk. Oh no, I, yeah. I, I love, and I also love him. Uh, just his his gesture of trying to push down Tony's tight pants is like fantastic <laughs> like, on its own. Once he's in, like, once he's in Tony mode, like in Tony clothes, like all like all of that is is really really great. But I I I just I cannot speak highly enough about the the relish with which and like the gameness with which Tessa Thompson takes on Valkyrie. Um there's there's the one I think is it it's it's one when they're heading for the devil's anus. Uh and they're flying there in the ship and I think that there's just like there's this incredible shot of Tessa Thompson like piloting the ship she just goes like here we go and it's just like there's like this like huge look of like maniacal glee on her face of like true warriors glee mm-hmm. uh forget the three that is just like she makes up for everything that you needed out of like the asgardian side characters in the original thor movies um and uh whatever the future holds for for her in the mcu i think is going to be exceptionally bright and she's just such a bright spot of this movie. well yeah i think she's going to be the love and love and thunder right i i hear we, she i we, the rumor is she's supposed to get a queen there which is going to be very fun yeah. Which is great that I'm glad that they're finally doing that. I mean, obviously, again, we I I would be remiss to, to say like yes, I mentioned sexism and racism, but also um, uh, a homophobia big thing in comics. And we unfortunately, you know, that 
part of the character got stripped away in this, which is unfortunate in my opinion. But the character itself is so so amazing and so well done. And Tessa Thompson, I really really like her as an actress, but she knocks it out of the park in this. I actually, I mean, there's this, there's a particular scene. Uh, the only other time I really got this, ironically, is Kate Blanchett in Ocean's Eight, but. This character and specifically the scene where she has the giant gun and puts it up against <laughs> herself. That to me, it was like, oh, I get what BDE is now. And if you don't know what that is, I suggest <laughs> you can Google it. Google it. I'm not going to say That's it here. Funny. But that was a moment where I'm like, oh, I got it. And the same thing with Kate Blanchett in Ocean's 8. I was like, ah, yes, that's BDE. Got it. Got I it. I believe it's... Uh- <laughs> Big devil's enemy. yes, <laughs> that is what that yeah. is. Exactly, you're using the the Corgian accent. Uh, yes. I, I love yes. I love bringing in this facet of the character, though. You know, uh, basically what Thor ascribes to the Valkyries, we can ascribe to Valkyrie the character of just like badass woman fighter. I mean, I know you talk about the gleeful shot of her flying into the anus, Josh, but there's that incredible. I mean, we're going to get into the final battle, but the incredible slow mo static shot of her walking away from the Commodore ship, all the swagger in the world as fireworks go off around her. Like that just shows the might. And to your point, like the, the smoothness that she brings, even when she's like slugging back bottles for the first two thirds of it. But to that point, the reason why she's doing it is because she has a backstory that I feel like was not heavily laid on. You know, we really, we were really told not shown. We only got a brief glimpse into that in my God, a heavenly, beautiful flashback scene that is just masterfully done, wordless to show what Hela did to the Valkyries and why she would have a grudge against her. Again, shows like you don't need piles upon piles of exposition that these Thor movies provide as to the mythology of these characters. Just show us why they have a vengeance and then have them go after that vengeance. And I'll show it to us in like a, like you said, there's two shots in this movie specifically that are just mind-blowingly amazing you could put that on a like a like a painting and hang it up in your uh animal crossing museum it's so good oh speaking to my sweet spot (laughs) you know what's funny is i think we've barely talked about loki Mm -hmm. uh and loki being such a strong point of the first two thor movies um being you know critical to avengers He's still going to have some life in the MCU because he's going to have his own Disney Plus series. Um, even though he is, he is the, he is the Johnny Cage to Thanos's, uh, Shao Kahn in, uh, Avengers Infinity War. Um, but is this, why is it that we haven't talked about Loki yet? I guess is my question. Is this, because there's so much good. is is it is that the reason why is it because this is the weakest Loki yet? No, um, I don't. I don't. Well, sure, sure, fine. But I. But I. What what I will say is, if Loki has been kind of viewed as a staple within the Thor movies up to this point, and if Thor is going to move forward, and this is all speculative, we have no idea. Will Thor move forward without? Loki as a franchise, you know, Loki is obviously still going to exist in some capacity, but is he going to exist in the Thor section of the MCU? I certainly hope he doesn't, because I feel like that is one of those things, at least not immediately, because I think I feel like it's one of those things where like you feel like you can like it's it's sort of like to the to the point of 
if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Like that's what that's what this movie does to to Thor with the hammer. That's what mm-hmm. this movie does to Thor with his supporting cast. That's what this movie does to Thor with Asgard. Uh, if you're not Thor without Mjolnir, if you're not Thor without the Warriors Three, if you're not Thor without Asgard as like a brick and mortar planet, flat Earth t- type of thing, uh, then are you really Thor? Um, if they if if there is this sense that uh, are you Thor if there's no Loki? I think that that's a, a bad path to go down. And I think that that could be a, a hang up if that is something that's to continue. And I feel like the Thor and Loki relationship is, you know, as resolved as it's going to get yeah. in, in this movie. I just, I don't know. Kevin, do you have strong thoughts on, I, on any Yeah, of I do. I disagree that this is the weakest Loki. I think this is the best Loki. No, I'm throwing I, it out. I'm I not said. necessarily saying yeah, but that. But I, I yeah. also think, you know... The thing, the, here, here's the thing with with Loki, and here's the thing where we're going to run into comic books of eighty years in storytelling as well. Is that Loki works so well in these films and in the MCU because he had a character journey. Yes, we love him being the god of mischief, but then what? Then what? Then what do we do with him? We got to a point where he had an arc. He became, he truly became Thor's brother and ally, and it's a wonderful moment. Like him catching the thing at the end was so great to be like, I'm, I'm here. And what he does in infinity war, I think is great, but that's also where you end up. Your choices are either you're going to have to kill off that character or you have to have that character be what you made him from now on. And if you just bring back Loki, what version are they going to bring back as a question? If they just, if they bring back within, within Thor, the brother ally type of character, I think that's what it should be, but it's going to be so easy and as we see in the Loki show, to want to bring back the mischief version because that is a version yeah. people really like. That's a version you can have like a lot of fun and goofiness with. But storytelling wise, then then what is the point, right? It's the, what I like to call the, essentially the Johnny Storm effect in comics. Johnny Storm, remember Fantastic Four, his entire character is that he is an irresponsible guy who is impulsive. And every writer who picks up that book spends their arc mostly being like okay i'm gonna make johnny become an adult and then they leave and then it starts over again because that's all you can do with that character and that character can never grow by virtue of him having to exist for 80 years that is not what i want for loki and if you bring him back in a capacity you could be faced with that exact problem there's ways around it bring back loki and you could do lady loki from the comics or even child loki from the comics you lose tom hiddleston kid loki is the best you lose yeah. Tom Hiddleston, but maybe you can get something different there. Maybe you can do a different story arc. What I really don't want is just to get Loki and just... Finn Wolfhard Loki is something we Ooh, should have in our that's lives. A, that's Ooh. a good casting choice. I mean, listen, yeah. if there's season two of Loki's coming around, yeah. uh, I, I think yeah. I think Kevin makes a lot of fantastic points there. And I think, I mean, I think if we're also talking about the Thor arc, though, I think the fact that Thor went off with the Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of Endgame, which I will say... Not to skip too much ahead into Infinity War, but when I saw him partner up with them, the moment I had in the theater was nothing less than orgasmic because it's one of those things where <laughs> oh, geez. it's one of those like the peanut butter and chocolate though, where like Taika Waititi's Thor and James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy are like so similarly circling one another that to have them interacting is just such a a blissful marriage. But it, you know, Thor left behind his Asgard. He left behind Valkyrie. He left behind people that he had connections with to basically be like, okay, I know I'm strong enough and I have enough confidence in myself to not necessarily need all those people who granted may have died 
along the way. But, you know, when I visited my, de- my dying mama and she told me that I'm okay, so I'm going to move on. And so I do think that, again, speaking to the point you made before, Josh, of the, the new Thor, this new Thor arc, I don't think Loki is required. Because I think if it's between that and what Kevin is also saying of like beating a dead horse, and I'm not talking about Beta Ray Bill, uh, of just, you know, going back to this dynamic, uh, you know, God help us if they actually did get to the point of what they mentioned here, of the infamous uh, Loki turns Thor into a frog storyline. Like that would show how much they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel of just, well, Tom Hiddleston's popular. We don't want Loki to be Siler. And so from that perspective, I'm very happy with what they did with Tom Hiddleston. That's Hill's a very scenario. cogent way of putting yep. it. A dangerous, like, ominous, like, oh, God, yes. like, uh, uh, eventuality that none of us want. Um, that would be, that would be very, very, very but bad. Totally. What we totally do agree. get of him in this movie is really great. I love their interactions. <laughs> I love their back and forth throughout where you still don't know what way he's going to go. Uh, I think the, <laughs> That delivery of like when I was a kid, he turned into a snake and he crept into my bed because he knows <laughs> yeah. that I love snakes. And he turned back to himself and he's like, "It's me!" And he stabbed me. Is one of the funniest moments uh, in yeah. any superhero and, and, film across the board. And Tom like, Hiddleston, it's, Tom Hiddleston kills as well. Too. Like again, he was always very funny, but for some reason, every time a line reading Josh, I always thought like I was falling. For 30 minutes! <laughs> for 30 minutes! It's just, for 30 minutes! It's a great line. Yeah. I also love, as soon as Hulk comes out, immediately cuts to Loki, I've got to get off this planet. It's just, <laughs> yeah, again, it's such fantastic planet. callback well, history. Well, there's a, there's a, there, and I think that that is another thing about Ragnarok that is very impressive. And, you know, this movie wouldn't exist without, without the prior two Thor movies ha- having prov- provided a foundation for it. But also just like the history that exists already at this point in the MCU and also the, the successes and the failures of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think all swirl together to make a movie like Thor Ragnarok, which is so confident and, 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 um, uh, specific in, in vision and feel, uh, possible. Um, and like one of the ways to demonstrate that idea, I think, uh, is, that when we're we're following Thor to Sakaar and we're with him for so much of like the the entry to Sakaar and what this place is all about, and we see that Loki is just like kind of like yucking it up with all of like the big wigs mm. uh by the time that Thor is just like sort of like in chains and everything um and it is leaning on us knowing Loki well enough to know. That like, yeah, he just schmoozed his way to the top. That's something that Loki can totally do. Um, the movie does that in a few different ways. Um, it's, it's, it's the best Doctor Strange we've gotten so far. I mean, that's not saying much. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, other than like the Dormammu stuff, which is really great, but I, I might even venture a guess of, or, or venture a take and say that the Doctor Strange stuff here, which I had been concerned about, Kevin, did, I think I expressed some concern of like, isn't that like just like a little fan servicey, the Doctor Strange stuff that we get in Ragnarok? And like, maybe like it's a little bit too much of the everything's connected, man, like sure to some degree, but it's such an excellent demonstration of how Doctor Strange works um and that leans on dr strange as a movie existing and now we know what dr strange is capable of so there's just like editing magic that is able to happen where like uh thor goes to sit down and he just like wipes out in the next shot or or whatever um but i think for me like one of the 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 best examples of this is when thor like demands loki take him to odin 
Um, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like in Snatch, the Guy Ritchie movie, when Dennis Farina needs to get from New York to London to find out what happened to Frankie Fourfingers, uh, and like the 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 movie takes five seconds literally mm-hmm. to get him from New York to London. He gets into a car, he gets to the airport, he sits down in a plane, he takes a shot, he gets into the car in London. He pulls up to the to the to the diamond guy. The diamond goes, Ari, and Dennis Farina goes, sit down, you big bald f word. And like he's that all happens in five seconds. This movie does that with the Bifrost. Like it Bifrosts from Asgard to Earth in five seconds, and it's it's great. And like what would have required a full freaking movie to do that before is now achievable in five seconds and it's i i think that there is a fine line between taika waititi throwing out what happened in thor's previous and like just like crumpling it up into like a paper ball and just like throwing it into the trash Piss off movie and or like being like a really expert butcher and cutting the meat that was provided to him in like the most uh uh you know the most worthwhile and tremendous and artful way um and unexpected way uh there's a lot of word soup but i i think that, that that's one thing about this movie that i that i think uh helps to add to sort of its exceptional uh quality yeah the doctor strange thing i think what makes him work so well is because now he's been through this origin story uh we can now see the truly realized doctor strange which is a bit of an haughty a-hole you know, of like, hey, I kept this compendium, like, oh, you need to this to happen, yada, yada, it's fine. I will quibble a bit with, you know, his line about, oh, I keep a record on all the uh, the threats to our planet. You think you'd see Thanos coming a little bit sooner than that. But that's, you know, something that can be easily explained away. But it, it's it's a little bit of a weird cameo. I will say if there's if there's one thing in terms of, like, callbacks that I'm still a little iffy on out of this film, it's probably the, like, actual Asgardian stuff like the the Heimdall of it all. I think it's cool to see Idris Elba not just stand in one place for an entire movie and, you know, become this sort of, like, badass thing. But I don't know. The, it, the, the whole refugee stuff felt, like, a little too displaced from everything else that was going on. The Scourge stuff is interesting to me because that's another comic book character uh, played by Carl Urban, who's a freaking chameleon. Uh, like, if you put this picture up next to Aomer from Lord of the Rings and Bones from uh, from the Star Trek franchise, you would not recognize the same person. But, like, he has his own mini arc, and he is definitely fun. I think the, you know, the behold my stuff is a, is a fantastic line. But I, would I say that they are A-plus characters? No, not necessarily. But I do think, to your point, Josh, Tuck is able to take that DNA from Asgard and add some interesting elements into it to not make it feel like it's too much chaff in this stock of wheat. Yeah, and I think, you know, yeah. he th- he's able to make Asgard really interesting by breaking it down and tearing it apart. The Asgard we saw in the first Thor was interesting because it was new, but my big complaint was how little we actually got to spend some time there because all these movies had to take place on Earth because that's a studio role in movies full stop. Um, but the second one did like, this is actually a good contrast because the second one had this thing where it's just like, well, 
you know, the the Asgard is like this medieval fantasy and we're going to introduce space stuff and it's Star Wars space stuff because we can't have originality in our development. That's my, one of my big issues there, too. This throws that out. Like, Asgard feels unique and all the space stuff feels unique but still connected. It feels cohesive in a weird, weird way that I think really works. And I think that went into the time and effort they put into all that. Um, so... I don't know. Like I, I liked how all of it played out. I liked all the pieces that they fiddle around with. I agree. Not everything is going to be a hundred percent amazing. You, this is, this is what we were talking about at the beginning. Beginning. If you, if you want to pull it threads, certainly there's like one or two sticking out and you could do that. But like as a whole, at that point, you're just getting nitpicky and you're, you know, yeah, the movie's yeah. effectiveness is just expertly done across the board. Um, you know, the, the stuff as we'll get into like that ending battle is so great. And we didn't even talk about Anthony Hopkins in this movie who isn't in it that much, but is so, so good in this movie yeah. more so than because he gets to do stuff in the previous Thor movies. He was just there and you just only had one or two moments where he got to be a little bit larger than life. Where in this one, he's talking to both Loki and Thor as he dies. When you have him at the end where I retain, you know, we talk about the comedy. The emotional beats of this movie are strong. Along with, um, he, you know, he may have been your uh, your father, but he wasn't your daddy. The Are You Thor God of Hammers is such a well-delivered line on Anthony Hopkins' part that I think it's one of the emotion, most emotional moments that hits you. Uh, in in the MCU, it's so well done. But I gotta call out. I think my favorite bit that people often overlook is when he's Loki pretending to be Odin. Oh, I, lo- I love his. I, lo- I love his. Oh shit! Line is yeah. just incredible. Yeah. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, shit. It's great. He's so <laughs> yeah. so good. I'm so glad he got a chance yeah. to shine in this movie in a way that he hadn't previously. That whole play scene, of course, is just so great. Matt Damon showing up, <laughs> Sam Neill being there, the other Hemsworth, uh, Luke Hemsworth. Like it's just, it's very funny. It's just what what else is there to say? It's just, it's so weird. It's so beautiful. This movie's great. This movie's great. Um, let's talk about the rankings because it's a six from me. It's a six from Kevin. Mike, it's a six from you, right? Yeah, and just to clarify, so we're going to get into the the rankings here. So uh, I got hungry with power last week and had my you know rankings. Yeah, count. with all with 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 all due respect to to you, Mike, uh, we've been we've been doing a thing here, and I don't want to fudge the data. And I think if we have like uh, now like a, a fourth point that is that is being uh, accounted for in the rankings, it's going to screw with things. So, Mike, score you're 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 with the listeners. Yeah, you're, I'm now, I'm now part, part of the throngs of people chanting thunder thunder <laughs> like give me but the whole mask but, but your six for thor ragnarok uh is thrown in with the greater lot which is not you know it would be hard to establish a six as an audience score but it is um the audience score right now is tied for the highest audience score of the mcu so far with the avengers at a 5.4 um, and so the audience gave this a 5.4 the audience also had given the avengers a 5.4 I had given the Avengers a six. Kevin, I believe you gave the I Avengers a six. I did give the Avengers a six. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so the Avengers had a 5.81, and it was the king of the castle for a good long time. And here comes Thor Ragnarok with a six, a six, a 5.4, and now also a 5.81. And so much like Thor <laughs> and Hela vying for the Amazing. throne of Asgard... We have a tie oh, at the top. Oh, wait, so does the Grandmaster come out and, and say, Ragnarok. well, I'm going to call it a tie. <laughs> you know, so it's a tie. That's amazing. So That's it's great. a tie. 
that is where we have landed. We have landed at a tie. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I think other movies are going to come along and be the new number one. As soon as next um, week. Potentially, potentially as yeah. soon as next week, the week after that, and for Endgame. Like, um, but yeah, uh, you know, within the last two weeks, Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, being in second place for a little while, swinging in there. And I believe uh, that Homecoming and Civil War right now are tied uh, as well. So we've got two ties within our top five. Um, pretty exciting. Fun stuff. That's amazing. And I think speaks to just how ridiculously enjoyable this movie is. I'll, I'll throw it to the great Professor Strunk, who who wrote in and said, my take on Thor Ragnarok is that this is the best comedy in the MCU, the best character revamp in the MCU, and maybe the best hodgepodge of characters ever assembled in the MCU. Come at me, GOTG stands. But Thor Ragnarok isn't the best superhero movie in the MCU. It's not to say that Thor Ragnarok somehow contradicts the superhero genre. Those movies can be zany and fun and aesthetically colorful and not lesser so for being those things. DCEU stands can come at me too. There's no requirement that a superhero movie be serious. Um, but all of that said, for those who rank this as the number one in the MCU, which I think is both a popular and totally acceptable stance, Thank you. I would posit that the comedy is doing most of the work for them. If you love action set pieces, for example, Ragnarok is no Winter Soldier. For me at this point in my life, I gravitate more toward the major action set pieces combined with a tone of epic moral struggle, which is why I prefer Winter Soldier, Homecoming, and the Avengers to this one, and Kevin will get into the the, the gesturing that just occurred uh, <laughs> as I was reading that point from the great Professor Strunk. Um, but I think that that does speak to there is there is just something that is so enjoyable about Ragnarok, and I think for me that is something that um, when something can be as when something can be so elite on an enjoyability factor, yeah. And so, like, I'm uh, like elite as like just like an, um, a masterfully crafted thriller, or elite as like a masterfully crafted meditation on grief. Those are things that can really sit with you and haunt you, and like you know, live in your gut, and like become like some of your favorite, um, you know, most iconic like viewing experiences. But I do think, for me, in terms of my taste, if if there is something that is just like elitely enjoyable, I think that that might that might beat some other stuff. And, you know, I'm going to give Infinity War a six as well. But I do think, like, if you were going to then ask me, like, which is the movie you would rather sit down and watch? Today, I think I'd say Ragnarok. So, I, yeah, and I, I agree with that. I do disagree with a number of the professor's uh, points. The first <laughs> being um, the idea that this isn't a superhero movie. I definitely kind of have a strong, strong gut disagreement there. I mean, it's based on a superhero comic. It's based on a superhero comic. I also just personally don't, like, the idea of, like, what is a superhero story and what qualifies as one is going to be something as a writer and as a fan of comics that I, not just a superhero genre, that I will fight against any step of the day. But also, this movie is. This movie is a superhero story. It is a hero story um, because this movie does follow the hero's journey, which superheroes and characters would not exist without it. So it absolutely qualifies as a superhero movie, uh, without question. And as for the fight scenes, I, again, I will pick up, I will die on a hill. I've talked a lot about how much I love fight scenes and how important they are for movies when done well. I 
Yes. In this genre, they are, you know, the music they numbers are, to a yes, music. Like, right. like Scott Pilgrim. Um, this has great, great fight scenes. The choreography and what they do is so interesting and visually dynamic and unique and speaks to the powers of the characters in a way that's really, really well done. Winter Soldier being called out, I know people love that movie. It has great action set pieces. But if you're also comparing it to if you want to use the superhero like point, are you kidding? Like Winter Soldier is just two people martial arting each other and punching each other. Yeah, it can be really, really awesome. The raid has one of the best fight scenes in the history of cinema. But the idea that that is superior to being able to take a visual element like using Thor's hammer or his lightning or anything like that to create these fight scenes like in Sakaar and the gladiatorial match to say that it's not as good or far from the top is uh, again, I will die on the hill of disagreement here. I think the fight scenes are incredibly well done and you don't really get a lot of that. So many fights are just ending up to be like well choreographed, punchy, fighty, flippy. And you have superheroes. Aquaman, say what you will, has some of the best fight scenes in the comic book movies, especially that ending fight mm. scene, because you have him actually using his powers and actually doing something visually different in a way that's not just your typical punchy, punchy, punchy that you get from Batman v Superman, for example. So, yeah, I, I just have to stand up on that one and just be like, nah, dude disagree strongly that this is absolutely a superhero movie and has incredible right, well, fights. Let's let's put a pin in it cuz we're going to get to the to the final fight uh stuff in in a little bit. Let's talk villains. Um uh right now our 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 top 4 has a has a new contender. Uh <laughs> has a queen. the vulture re- remains at the top and and Loki uh from the Avengers is still right uh right at second place comfortably but uh actually not terribly comfortably hella is in third place i gave her a six kevin you gave her a five uh and she gets a 5.2 right beneath loki's 5.25 so hella is our our uh top three baby here uh third place finisher as it stands brother and sister yeah my prediction from last week still holds that i think at the end of this the top five is going to be uh the four villains we've had between you know vulture uh hella Killmonger and Thanos uh, standing with Avengers Loki. I think that's going to be your top five. Not to, to skew the numbers a bit. I, I yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of who who would get in the mix there. It's not going to be Walton Goggins, which is <laughs> love Walton Goggins, or it's not going to be Carrie Walton Coon Goggins, and Squidward. <laughs> it's know, not going to be Jude Law. Yeah, well, Sorry, I don't think guys. they. Yeah, yeah. No, so I and no. I think I gave her a five point five because again we. We, you know, I think she's an absolutely delicious portrayal of this character, and it's so much fun. And you can tell the enjoyment that she's having. You can tell how much fun everyone's having in this movie as well, which again compares so deeply between the Dark World. I gave it a five point five because we talked about last week. Kevin and I went on and on about how much we loved what they brought to the Adrian Toomes characterization. If they were able, I understand Hella's perspective. It, the character didn't necessarily need that deepening, but it's almost like the deepening of the Adrian Toomes character gave it that extra push to give it a six, in my opinion. So I couldn't go the full six, but it's pretty darn close. Six. You, you know, the the thing you just mentioned. I give it a six. I give her a six. Yeah, I, I forgot that, that, that this was the case, but now that you said it, uh, let's just take a moment to revel in this idea that at least for right now this week, the bottom movie in our rankings is Thor The Dark World. And tied for number one is Thor <laughs> yeah. Ragnarok. What yeah. a reversal. Just yeah. incredible. Mighty, if you will. Um, the post credit scenes are getting unwieldy. <laughs> uh, we are uh, Ragnarok has two. 
the the scene with Thanos's ship showing up is in the five spot right now. Kevin, we both gave that a five. The audience very close, four point seven. Uh, so that is uh, behind Captain America, uh, the Captain America PSA, which <laughs> is very rightly because uh, I don't think that you're going to be able to crack that top three of Nick Fury, yeah, Thanos, exactly. and the shawarma. But Cap should be right behind that's, all yeah, that's of that. That's sort of the exact argument we had was like, it's so good, but like those three totally. are so... And this actually has a bit of like those those elements in there, at least from the Thanos and uh, and Avengers, uh, Avenger Initiative perspective, and that like it is setting up the next movie. It is significantly shorter. I actually am personally higher on the Grandmaster scene just because the let's call it a tie line is like... <laughs> Oh, mwah, like icing on the yeah, cake for me. Yeah, it's really, really, it is really funny. <laughs> I mean, anything Jeff Goldblum <laughs> is phenomenal. All right, so let's talk about final battle rankings. Um, Kevin, you think that this is the best final battle in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I think it's a strong contender because Avengers is great. Because I, I don't think that I will be able to to walk away from this feeling good about the Thor Ragnarok final battle being ranked above the Avengers. Final so, battle. and I think I just don't think that that's possible. And for this me. is sort of where we are, right? It's got to be the number one or number two. And I think counting, I don't know that I agree. That's oh. crazy talk. So that's why I, I need you to okay. walk me through why it is this level of elite. Because when you're talking about it versus Civil War and the emotionality behind Iron Man versus Captain America there with Bucky being like the rope in the middle of this, you know, tug of war, I I need to know why Ragnarok is better than that. I think I can I can I could I actually, I think I need to know why it's better than Doctor Strange too. I need, oh, I need you to talk oh, me it's, through it's those than two Doctor spots. Strange. Yeah, I need, I can't, can't stay out of this one, <laughs> Kevin. I need, I need you to talk me through why Ragnarok is better than those two. Let alone why it would be better than Avengers. Sure. So, well, first of all, it's it's a group battle. It's not just Thor. From the moment that they showed up, they show up on Asgard, and I have to hold the Rainbow Bridge. It's visually dynamic. It's unique to any other fight that we've seen thus far. And the usage of powers and everyone's positioning throughout works really well. The beats come in at the right moments. Loki showing up as their savior. Loki joining the battle. Tessa Thompson walking out from the ship as the fireworks go off. And that's all, you know, pieces. But the moment, even before, like, the moment everything everything turns, when you have that emotional line, because I think that contributes is there is emotionality in this. So it's maybe not as strong of emotion as that uh, Civil War fight, but it has an emotional connection to it. And you have Thor realize his true true strength, realize what he's capable of, and he comes flying down in that you know Renaissance painting s imagery as <sighs> Immigrant Song kicks in. It's so insanely well done and well choreographed and like you cannot watch that and be jump not jumping up and down like oh my god oh my god oh my god like you certainly have an emotional element and that's we've talked about it during civil war about why that battle is so good but the choreography the visuals having hulk fighting fenrir grabbing him by the mouth as he's trying to stretch it open in the water as they're going all those bits and pieces are so different than the things we've seen and there's so many other pieces to it that it just all contributes to a fight scene 
that just feels so compelling and so well executed beat by beat. It is a musical number to a T because it's also accompanied by one of the most famous musical songs in existence. If you're going to bust out Led Zeppelin like that, you better be doing it well. And they used it well in the beginning and sandwiched it perfectly at the end in this wonderful reflection. So for me, you can make the argument for Avengers being the top because of how it all played that idea of the character bouncing a character bouncing a character we have that here we have multiple characters that we are very connected to that we've built connection to throughout this film uh and so it levels up there and it has the emotionality of civil war we are way more connected to cap and iron man certainly but to do what this movie did and in terms of specifically a fight scene and as a final fight scene it is easily top two and i could make the argument like i could feel it taking the point of avengers we can go back and forth but i definitely have to say it's better than civil war so here's here's the thing is i'm unconvinced um because i i think i i where i where i could what you're talking about for me aligns it with an avengers style final battle um but that could be Avengers Age of Ultron or Avengers OG. And for me, I think it, it skews it. it I, I, I can live in a world where it is ranked higher than Civil War, I suppose. But I, I definitely won't. I, I cannot live in the world where it's ranked higher than Avengers. Avengers is iconic. Everything about it is like that is the reason why we get the endgame final battle, which is the final battle to beat all mm-hmm. final battles for sure. That's number one. We won't have to talk that we through won't. because that'll be a big piece of the I podcast. I mean, Infinity War might that, also be that, that spot taker, but... I mean, yeah, maybe. Th- Thor arriving in Wakanda is another fantastic mm-hmm. Thor-based I'm final very, battle. I'm very, curious, I'm very curious to get there, but I think that um, I think that Ragnarok is, you know, is secretly like an ensemble movie, right? Like, it, you know, it, 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 it is a team-up movie. It's the Revengers movie. You know, it's Revengers Ragnarok. Um... So what what I see when we look at the top four, which is about to become a top five in, you know, however we slice it in Avengers, Captain America, Civil War, Doctor Strange and Age of Ultron. What I see in the Avengers sandwich, the meat that's in the middle of those two wonderful pieces of bread is um, something that is so devastating on an emotional level in Civil War and something that is so original in the way that Doctor Strange problem solves his way out of Dormammu. And I... I guess I don't is is Ragnarok's final battle the best battle in Ragnarok? Is that the best battle scene in yes. Ragnarok? Yes. Thor comes the, the down. The, really? The lightning the is one thing. Josh, you can't tell me that you didn't watch this battle as it cuts from person to person set to immigrant song and not have a smile creep across your face. And Thor that's is what literally that's using his lightning in a way that we have never ever seen. And of won't course, again, the way you don't that watch he's the, actually the, the, the still shot of Thor slow mo descending into the mass of zombies and not say this is an incredible picture. When image. I think, of course, when when I think when I think of Ragnarok, though, I when it comes to like uh, fight scenes, I think I certainly first and primarily think about Thor versus Hulk. It's the first one that comes to mind for sure. Not e- not even close. It's not even a question to me. That is what comes I, to mind. I disagree. It's the final Same, battle. For disagree. Me. That's fine. I'm telling you what comes I to mean, mind. You, say, for you me said it's is... an ensemble movie. The one that focuses on the ensemble takes more precedent to me than the one that that shows the two characters. What? 
That's fine. When when I think of Thor Ragnarok, I think about Thor versus Hulk when it comes to battle stuff. And then the second one that I think about is the escape from Sakaar. I think about that before I think about the final battle on Asgard. Um, I think that Asgard and that final battle to me is obviously literally electric and electrifying and tremendous and a great piece of 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 this incredible movie. Um, but it's not like it's it it's it's not cathartic in to to the point that civil war is devastating. Well, you're also missing Definitely the ending not. of it because the battle that we're talking about concludes with the fact that Thor sends Loki and again another emotional beat sends Loki to activate Ragnarok so Surtur can come up and destroy his home as he watches it happen, knowing that that's the only way to save his people because Asgard is a people a piece not a place. Of feedback- that is gonna that is gonna make uh, Kevin angry. I think I think uh, I think we'll see if we get more. But I would love listener responses to come in to tell you you're wrong of about this. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. I'm I'm real. I'm really game for that. Um, I'm gonna read a piece of feedback that's gonna make Kevin angry. Um, this is from John Jay who writes in and says, "Unlike Guardians, which can balance the drama and comedy, this movie undercuts all serious moments with humor. Without a real emotional core under the humor, I find it difficult to care about what's happening. Just imagine if this approach was taken to a more popular character like Captain America or in an Iron Man movie, people would find it insulting to the character. Um, uh, so that that's a take from from um, a, a, a relatively lone voice of dissent." Uh, when it comes to to Thor Ragnarok, this was one piece of feedback we got where it's like unpopular opinion. I know I don't care for Thor Ragnarok that much. I obviously don't agree. I love Thor Ragnarok. I'm giving it a six. Um, I think that there is when when you're it, it's it, Mike to to put it in Top Chef terms, like when you're talking about things that are so elite, you are now looking for like micro flaws, right? You're looking for like the real micro stuff. That separates things out. And often on a show like Top Chef, you get like these very contentious choices, uh, and, and backs and forth between things that are just absolutely utterly elite and people who have a very hard time agreeing on a thing. And in the matter of the Ragnarok final battle versus Civil War's final battle, because I'm not even going to entertain it versus the Avengers. It's a non-starter for me. That's fine. Then um, we're fighting a, about civil war versus this one, and I have a, I have retaliation for what you're going to say. So let's go. Sure, ahead. Sh- sure. Uh, I I I I feel the I do feel that like the the falling out between Captain America and Iron Man is more profoundly painful than Thor and Loki mutually joining forces to destroy their home world in order to save their people is exciting and cathartic. And and I think that a piece of that is also because what is about to happen next is half of Asgard of of Asgard's population is about to be murdered by Thanos. Um, So like that is where we're left at the end of the movie. It is, you know, the end of days for Asgard and almost completely for the Asgardian people. Um, Retaliate, sure. Because I'm still at Civil War is better sure. than Ragnarok. Yes, the Thor, or the the Iron Man and Captain America bit, and their emotional connection is intense. But you forgot the third factor 
in that fight, which is Bucky Barnes. And I give way more of a shit about everyone in Ragnarok in that final battle than I do directly about Bucky. He is a piece there and sure. he is a factor Bucky's that's a, Bucky's there. Bucky's a piece. But like that's still yes. part of that battle. He's still an element of that battle. So it, it does weigh it down to me more than Ragnarok where I will watch any one of those people fight eat fight anything more than i would have ended up like if it like if you remove another element if it's bucky versus iron man all of a sudden you're just like eh if it's bucky fighting cap you're like eh because it's bucky he's still a part of that versus this if they cut out everything else and it's just valkyrie wrecking shop with all of hella's people still cooler to me still more interesting still more dynamic because that also ended her character arc the journeys of these characters all came to conclusion in that battle in a way that's amazing versus we get a break and a devastating end to Cap and, and Iron Man, but Bucky is still just there, and we still don't get his ending character journey. He's still just a set piece, an emo set piece. Uh, so, yeah, again, I just think that I agree with you about the emotional power of that fight, but what Ragnarok accomplishes both in visual style, in music, and in uniqueness of character and power set is really great. The Iron Man cap fight does also <laughs> boil down to punchy, punchy face face versus again, <laughs> you have Hulk jumping at Surtur to punch him. Totally, totally, totally like, disagree that it monster. boils down to that because you, you have moments where like Tony is so upset. He's so upset that he's going to start taking chances. He takes the, 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 the he's going to, I'm going to eyeball it. Like that's the level to which that he's going for it. Yeah. I, I don't care. He's your friend. He killed my mom. Um, it's not just punchy, punchy, punchy. It is like you killed my mom and you knew it and you betrayed me. Uh, there is so much emotionality behind that. That is like, if if this is a genre that's about fighting uh to to the superhero genre is belting out into a big ballad in in the musical i think it's really reductive uh and and not um uh i i think it's 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 reductive in like the the argument that superhero movies can be profound and can have um merit to them and can be genuine art uh to say that it's just punchy punchy civil wars final battle is Far from just punching. I mean, punch I'm talking. There's so I'm much talking about the visuals. The I'm talking about the stuff. actual choreography and visuals. I agree, as I've said, it has the emotional aspect to it. But in terms of actual visuals of the fight and how it's executed, it is punchy punchy. Like we don't have, we get the one cool shot, especially of Cap using the shield as he uses his repulsor rays. But the majority of that fight isn't them using their powers to the most effective degree versus this where you are having Thor use his powers in a way that we have never, ever, ever seen. And it is visually insane. You have, again, the Hulk mm-hmm. fighting a giant dog in a way we haven't seen and punching a giant man on fire as he wields a giant sword, something we haven't seen. These are all really unique stuff. But the overall mood is is mostly like fun and funny and like it it like that just is not powerful enough to me in the way that Civil I think War the is. I don't think it's triumphant. I don't think we're going to land anywhere here. I don't think it's, I don't think it's fun or, or funny, but there is somewhere we can land, which seems appropriate for where we're ending up in this podcast, in that it is tied for second place with Civil War. Mike Mike is not going to break the tie with again with respect, Mike. I, I sounds think that like this no respect that, on my name personally. I'm not saying he's breaking the tie. It's, I'm saying that's where we leave it. It's a tie for second place. It, it's it's a tie right now. What I'd like to do is I'd like I know where your vote is, Mike. You're voting for Ragnarok, obviously oh, actually, over Civil War. Mm, I'm 
don't know, actually. I think I would I would personally put Civil War. My bigger gripe was you putting it uh, below Doctor Strange, which get out of here with that garbage take. Put that in Sakaar, because I think this... Well, so, so, so what I'd like to do is super at postshowrecaps.com <laughs> is our email address. And before we record Black Panther, which we are recording on uh, a, a week uh, uh, Thursday, September, what is it? Thursday, September 3rd! Thursday, September 3rd! Oh, happy birthday, Dad! Uh, <laughs> on my dad's birthday, we're recording Thursday, September 3rd, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You have until then to get your feedback in for Black Panther. Uh, we are once again, it's gonna be a, a, a three-headed panel. Kevin and I are gonna be joined by the great Latanya Starks yes. from our Lovecraft Country podcast. She's gonna be joining us to talk Black Panther. Um, Email us with your vote for Ragnarok versus Civil War. That's the question, though. It's not is Ragnarok over Avengers. I'm not entertaining it. I'm That's not fine. entertaining it. I would, that I would, I would agree place. with that. Can I also submit? I'll write in a new number one candidate for final battle. It's Josh Wiggler versus Kevin Mahadeo on which is the better <laughs> final battle, Thor Ragnarok or Captain America Civil well, War. We agree so often uh, that it, when when we disagree, I think it's meaningful. Uh, and and I don't feel like I'm going to talk you down from this, and I know you're not going to talk me down from this. So let's let's just like agree that this goes to the vote. And if people put Ragnarok above Civil War, it's going to be about like it's literally like how many people voted Ragnarok versus how many people voted Civil War. Not the argument. We are talking about numbers. That is what we are looking for. So send those emails in super at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, don't create fake dummy emails just to yeah, send nobody your, from your, Cher- your... Planet of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, sending in votes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just be be legit, be constructive. Uh, but I'm 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 excited, and it's always fun to get into a debate with Kevin. Of course, Mario. I love it. It's one and of my favorite things. Turning it one over to the fans, I feel like do. is the only way. We are at a stalemate. We have to leave Absolutely. it to the people. I don't normally trust the um, people, Stan- but <laughs> Stan Lee cameo. Um, like I think that this is elite. Is him as a barber, a space barber, is incredible. I, but I think it's like hair. it's. But I but but I think that it's it's in that. Uh, so it's it's not the Watcher. The Watcher's still number one. Um, I don't think it's the it's touching the party scene in Age of Ultron with the drunken Excelsior. Um, where I would put it is in the conversation of Ant Man and the Incredible, which Hulk. is a uh, crazy, uh, stupid, uh, fine, and the the guy drinking the green stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think I would put it behind both of those personally, but I'm open to to that shifting. I I, I like yeah, I I I would agree. I at least I put it a below crazy stupid fine because I really I I think the comedy from that crazy stupid fine. I will say I mean I guess it does get extra credit due to the fact that the Sakarian design of Stanley's character is incredible. The great thing, and this is again speaking towards the brilliant visual aesthetic of this movie, is it really is like. Like dirty eighties, I think is the aesthetic of Sakar, where everything is dirty and dusty, but it has these vibrant colors. Yeah. And so when he has like these uh, rectangular red glasses, it's such a stark image from even when we've seen him before in a galactic perspective. I, yeah, I, I would definitely put him in at least number four, but I could be. I, yeah, I think that feels right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Tony Stank is a funny line, but I feel like I like the it's barber funny. more. It's funny, and like him getting uh, gamma irradiated by the Hulk is incredible too. But I think like the the visual component and like imagining Stanley filming it is <laughs> 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 is really really fun to 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 think of about what that day might have been like yeah I, I'm I'm I, we're in agreement here uh, for sure I don't think it's cool. as 
uh it's not higher than crazy stupid fine but it's right it's right behind it definitely above gamma radiated poor incredible hulk it had the number one spot for so long and then has lost all hope of everything it's still you know it's top five yeah. you know there's still respect on that name so, so yeah, that's, it'll, so I mean, that's it'll, it'll definitely be slipping out there if if anything the end game uh appearance is gonna knock it out at least all right, so that's Thor Ragnarok, a tremendous, tremendous movie, and I don't want the debate to color the fact that I think that I think the movie is tremendous. It's a six out of six. <laughs> so don't at me. It's a six out of six. I'm giving it a perfect score. These movies are exceptional. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is an exceptional film universe. End of statement. Period. <laughs> Exclamation marks. So many of them. Um. It's just like it's a game of inches in, in some of this stuff and strong feelings. Yeah. And, you know, exist. you know, I will say, yeah, after talking it through, I agree. It's not going to beat out the Avengers. It's iconic. There's a lot of characters involved. They do a lot of cool stuff. But again, I think I think it is debatable for Civil War. Um, so sure. I'm, and that and I think that that debate yep. should should go to the to the listeners for sure. So send that send that into us. Give us your vote. Super dot com. Just let us know if you want to let us know why uh, that's fun. May not be read on air, but always always fun to get that out. And I'll, I I would enjoy reading uh, your reasons why. But you can also just let us know. You can just say Ragnarok, or you can just say Civil War, um, and also get us your Black Panther feedback. Mm. I'm so excited. We're finally up to Black Panther. You have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I've been waiting for this. I know. So I have an do. idea of how excited I, you are. You've been waiting a very yeah, long time. Specifically, to talk about a lot of pieces of it, um, and I'm so glad to have uh, uh, Latanya joining us for that. Just yeah, to have that conversation as well. You know, on Lovecraft Country, we really get to talk through a lot of the the you know race and and personal color perspective um and so yep. that's definitely gonna come through in black panther because that's a huge part of it for me um so i'm really really pumped to finally dive into that and kind of talk through it and um hear some feedback and 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 get into it i will say uh you know just spoiler alert it's not gonna come near the top in terms of final battle but <laughs> uh i think so yeah I, I don't know about near the yeah. top I'm, let's just eyeball that real quick <laughs> yeah i will also <laughs> say looking. uh i mean listen black panther has <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Uh, we're talking once we just talked last week about a very formative film for the Spider-Man character, very formative film for uh, the Flora character reinvention. This week, next week is just a like a, a reinvention of Marvel in general and, and the stories that it yeah. was able to tell. It's also the only MCU film up to this point nominated for Best Picture, which is right. like which is absolutely bananas. But I think completely deserved in the story it was able to tell the cast. Oh, the cast. I'm so excited to hear you guys get into this. And Latanya is going to be incredible as well to talk all about this, these groups of people. And uh, hopefully nobody has to, you know, uh, take any herbs to be able to access how great this movie is. It's like on another plane. I think Black Panther is going to be in the conversation for among the top. Uh, this could be in the top battles. This could be the top final battles. Well, it's going to be better than Winter Soldier. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to watch For it again. Sure. I think I think there's a lot of things that I think are really clever about it, but there's also things that I feel are, are unfortunately do feel Marvel-esque. It, it, it doesn't quite hit Wonder Woman final level battle problems, but it comes a little, it comes a little <laughs> into that territory. I mean, when he, I don't when, want to when, talk about that when, right uh, now. When Killmonger is in the outfit and also has a mustache on top of his outfit, that's super oh, weird. Oh, God, don't. <laughs> Anyway, now you're the one talking about that's math a, things. <laughs> that's a totally that's a totally different podcast. We'll get there at some point. 
Mike Bloom, um, you are an incredible human being. I love you so, so, so much. Aww, I, I got to just thank you again as much as humanly possible for everything you've done for me over the last couple of weeks. I have so much respect for your name and for your person and your humanity and everything. And um, my life is so much richer having you in it. Uh, and this podcast was richer having you in it. What's going on with you, Mike? What do you got going on? Give us the spiel. Where can you find yourself some Mike Bloom? You can find yourself some Mike Bloom at a Mike Bloom type uh, on Twitter. And yeah, to answer your question a lot over on, of course, here on Post Show Recaps, we'll start with that. Of course, Josh and I are going down the hatch each and every week. Of course, uh, with Josh away for the past couple of weeks, we have uh, taken a deep dive into some miscellaneous topics. So this week, I got together with John Krause and the Ben Behind the Curtain to talk about lost copycat shows. Shows that after Lost premiered said, hey, that lost thing works Let's try it. Spoiler. Let's try that. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them didn't really work, and so it's, it's a really, it's a really fun retrospective. Yeah. And look, if people are looking for like new shows to watch in quarantine, and they they're looking for breaks in between lost episodes, uh, check that out. But Josh and I'll be back to the uh, to the mill of it all next week to talk about uh, the cost of living. So that should be great. Over from a reality TV perspective, I'm covering. Big Brother, both from a writing perspective for Parade.com and podcasts as well. I'm covering Tough as Nails, which is just finishing up. I'm going to be covering The Amazing Race next month. And actually going back to Post Show Recaps for a second, I feel like I could start covering this because I feel like we're like a month plus out. Uh, Kevin mentioned, you know, the wharf of it all. And we're not going exactly TNG, but Jessica Lee and I will be back with some lower decks action. We're going to do like a little wrap up of uh, the 10 episode half hour animated Star Trek show, which I would very highly recommend if people are into some Trek stuff. And that'll be our sort of warm up into episodic coverage of, uh, of disco disco season three, which ironically CBS is also airing disco season one concurrently on their own network because they they're running out of options yeah they don't have much to air so it'll be a weird sort of time Uh, jump where we have two ends of the sandwiches and maybe some other fun stuff coming to post show recaps as well so stay tuned and josh everything you said i'm just gonna bounce like a rubber ball back to you uh in terms of how much hurts my face yeah this was i i love your guys podcast so much and any opportunity I, i come to whether it's doing brain steals or nerding about Spider-Man or Thor, this is a, a just a, a super, for lack of a better term, opportunity to look beyond what's going on outside of the world and nerd out about some crazy, stupid, stupid, fine superhero <laughs> movies, especially right now. Yeah. This is a really, really good period, and I'm I'm excited to finish strong and then some interesting uh, other movies in there for the end of phase three. But we're good right now. We're good right now. So thanks for having me on. We're really good. Really good right now. Speaking of really good, uh, Kevin and I are podcasting twice a week together right now with the aforementioned Latanya Starks on the aforementioned Lovecraft Country horror show on HBO. Uh, Kevin, this that has been a very, very fun podcast to be doing. Uh, it's been fantastic and incredible. And Latanya, who has just recently joined us, um, on post show recaps is just, absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's amazing. amazing. One amazing. Of, one of the most gifted natural podcasters who has now done three podcasts in her entire life, and like you would think that she's done exactly. three for three. She, yeah, she crushes it, and it's it's great to have her on there. I'm so happy to have her there, and I'm so excited to talk with her every week about Lovecraft Country, that new HBO show, totally. which has been really fun and exciting, and I'm thrilled to see where it goes. Um, and of course really really pumped for next week when uh, she joins us for black panther so we will be coming back next week black panther follow kevin on twitter at kev mahadeo i'm at round howard uh mole patrol coming back next week down the hatch coming back next week 
Lovecraft coming next week. Uh, some food shenanigans, mm-hmm. I believe. We're taking our shoes off, going barefoot with Contessa. <laughs> but I guess it's the synthy version, right? Because it's Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah. So we've got that coming up on Reality TV Wrap Up. So a lot going on. Uh, just keep following along. Send your feedback in. SuperPushOrecaps.com. Get those ratings in. Get in on the debate between Civil War versus Ragnarok's final battle. We'll be back next week with Black Panther. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.